Hey, good morning, Forest Park. Happy New Year to those of you I didn't get a chance to say that last week, so Happy New Year to you. Hey, before we jump into part two of our ongoing series, Wouldn't It Be Nice, I do want to call attention again to First Step happening today from four to six. I always enjoy teaching uh, this class. It gives me a chance to get to know some new folks who are coming in to Forest Park, answer questions that people may have about how to get involved or how kind of things work here, uh, who the staff are what we believe, where we're going, what our vision is, on and on. So you, you kind of help direct that class because based on some of the questions you ask, we, we go in different directions. So if you haven't signed up yet, please do so. You can do it online, as Lana mentioned, or you can go to the New Here area. There's a piece of paper there if you prefer to write your name on something as opposed to doing it online. And we just need to know you're coming so we can get the materials printed, make sure we have enough food for you, and also um, child care if you have children who you are bringing with you, etc. So please don't miss that on your way out. Stop to the New Here uh, Information Center there, and they'll be happy to help you get registered. All right, let's jump into part two of Wouldn't It Be Nice? You know, relationships are difficult, and some of us have more difficulty than others. Relationships have always been challenging for me. I've had to fight and scrape and hunt and gather most of my life for good, solid, wholesome Relationships. I'm not talking about family. I mean, I have an amazing family. I think they're the best. Maybe not, but they certainly are better than yours. Uh, but I'm not talking about family. I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about relationships outside the family. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not implying the fighting and scraping is the fault of others. I'm not an easy person with which to have a long-term friendship with. I'm not mean or ornery or especially selfish, but I'm just not easy if you really got to know me. I, I, people tell me I, I carry a negative face. Do not say amen on that point. Uh, sometimes intimidating. I, I challenge everyone around me. I ask a lot of questions. I talk about things other people find boring or random. I expect loyalty in, in a friendship. I don't give a lot of encouragement. I mean to, but sometimes I just don't think about it. And I find ways to improve everything, e even the friendship. So sometimes that can get a little frustrating for people. Anybody else have a hard time with friendships? It's okay to lift your hand and admit it. Maybe, maybe not you. Maybe you're easy when it comes to having friends. Now, this is just one message in an overall series. So this is not an entire series about relationships and the tension that goes on sometimes in relationships. But there is something I want to talk about today, and it's a huge issue when it comes to relationships. And, and I see it everywhere. In fact, I see it affecting friendships. I see it affecting marriages. I see it affecting dating relationships, employer-employee relationships, churches, politics. I mean, you name it, this one issue is eating away at the very foundation of relationships. I want to see if you agree with me, okay? Follow my train of thought. Many of us enter into relationships at whatever level with the goal of receiving benefits. Joy, friendship, companionship, entertainment, support, partners in profit, teammates to win a championship, starting of a company, planning of a church, beginning a ministry, whatever it is. You have something that I don't have. I have something you don't have. Hey, let's get together and make something great. It, it's why we choose a certain person or a group of people to be our friend or friends. In some way, at some level, level, he or she will make our lives, our companies, our churches more profitable. So therefore, we enter into this relationship with this person. Now, I'm not downing that. There's nothing wrong in and of itself. Relationships are supposed to be mutual two-way streets. 
You know, I need you, you need me. We can accomplish more together than we can apart. You have gifts and abilities that I don't have. I have gifts and abilities you don't have. So we can complement one another. But as a society, we are becoming more and more, this is my observation, what I see more and more, even within friendships, even within marriages, we are becoming more and more about I and me rather than we and us. And it is slowly and methodically tearing apart the fabric of our society. The less there is of me, boom, the less we there is, the less me there is. Because I'm not really me without we. And you are not you without we. You see, it's only in the relationship, it's only in the we do we experience joy and happiness and security and peace and fulfillment and ultimate success because relationships are the fabric of our society. Everything rises and falls on the quality of relationships. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, kids to parents, parents to kids, teachers to students, student to teachers, employer to employees, doctors to patients, business owners to customers, on and on. We are a society made up of relationships. And in the mutual serving of one another, in the give and take of the relationship, in the love for each other, in the what I do helps you, what you do helps me, in the win-win nature of every relationship, rises and falls our entire society. And slowly, the we is being eaten away with the me. And I see it everywhere. And let me explain a little bit more detail. Almost in every area of my life, whether I'm reading a book, whether I'm watching a show, whether I'm on, you know, in social media or in conversations with people, almost every area of my life, I am being told directly or indirectly in subtle and sometimes aggressive ways that life is about me. It's about my pleasure, my fulfillment, my joy, my happiness, my experience, my prosperity, my dreams, my goals, me, me, me. And it is subtle at times. I mean, if someone came up to you and said, hey, life is all about you, you know, pursue whatever you want, you might kind of go, whoa, I don't know if life's about that. But it's subtle things. Here are some phrases that I hear often. You do you. I hear that a lot. Sounds legit, doesn't it? But can you imagine a world worth living in if that were true? Every single person just did themselves whatever they wanted to do. Here's a big one. Self-help. You don't need professionals. You can help yourself. Here's another one. Do whatever makes you happy and don't let anybody judge you. Say that to murderers and rapists and thieves and liars. Hey, walk away from toxic people, which is a good point. I've actually preached that and taught that. But unfortunately, typically, that is defined in our society today as anybody who pushes you too hard or who disagrees with you. Just walk away from them. They're toxic for you. Here's another one, this last one I'll give you. If people don't like you for who you are, then walk out. Rarely assessing the reason people might not like you is because you're a jerk. Ever thought about that? So we don't think about that. We just hear that and we swallow it and we accept it. Now here, here's a confession. I, I've said many of these statements before. And, and I think at the time it was coming from a good place. But I've grown. And now I see the subtle danger in that me, me, me focus. 
Here are a few problems with this approach. This kind of thinking leads, this kind of thinking and living, I should say, creates more factions and more splinters, little groups here and little parties over there. These people believe that. These people believe that. These people buy into this. These people buy into that. And you stay over there and I'll stay over here. And we end up with a society that is just fractured and splintered everywhere. Here's another danger. You surround yourself with people who rarely challenge you. You've pushed all the people out who disagree with you. You've walked away from all the toxic people. So you end up in your little tiny hibernating group of people and all the people around you believe the same thing, think the same thing, say the same thing. You just surround yourself with people who rarely challenge you. You become blind to other people's opinions because you don't hear anybody else's opinion because you stay in your little group. And most of the time, self-help, this is at least with me, I've been most of my problem, not my solution. I rarely can ever lead myself out of anything. Most of the time, I lead myself into problems. I typically cannot get myself out. I need help. I need we. I need groups. I need people better than me. I need people smarter than me. I need people who know things that I don't know. Here's another problem. You just stop growing. Because when you surround yourself with people who think the same and believe the same and talk the same, well... You don't grow anymore because you pretty much know everything. And here's the one that really concerns me is we send a horrible message to the next generation. Parents who buy into this stuff, churches who buy into this stuff are actually subtly telling the next generation, hey, life is about you. You don't need to do hard things. You don't need to do things outside your comfort zone. If it gets too hard, if it gets too difficult, if people push you too much, walk away. You don't have to figure out how to get along with difficult people. If there are people around you who are difficult, leave the relationship. Is it any wonder why we see so many marriages falling apart, churches falling apart, countries falling apart? And eventually we just cocoon ourselves and surround ourselves with people who think the same way and we assume everybody thinks this way. It's not that everybody's thinking that way. It's just that you've kicked everybody else out who sees it differently than you do. I see it over and over and over again, the me consuming the we. Well, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't live like that, but instead lived in a way that nurtured relationships, that fed relationships, that grew relationships, no matter how difficult they became, no matter how far outside our comfort zones we had to go? Wouldn't it be nice if we strengthened the fabric of our society through thriving, mutual, beneficial relationships based on love and understanding rather than weakening our society through self-focused, me-centered living? All right, here's what I want to do. Big idea. I want to take a few minutes and I want to walk you through something that maybe you've never seen in Scripture before. It's actually an example of two incredible men of God, two intelligent, called, gifted men who actually had a conflict between themselves. And it resulted in a split. Two amazing, intelligent, gifted leaders in the New Testament got into an argument. And when they got into an argument, somebody got hurt in the process. And I want to show you this because I want you to see how easy it is for the me-centered thinking and living to arise and how we've got to be careful, careful, careful to protect relationships at all costs. 
Let's go to Acts chapter 15. If you've got a Bible with you or you're following along in the New Version app or something like that, Acts 15. I've got to set this up. I've got to give you a little history because I want you to see what's going on kind of behind the scenes that leads to this argument that goes on between these two people. Acts 15, verses 36 through 41, take place right before Paul leaves on his second missionary journey. Now, Paul the Apostle is a great man in the New Testament. He wrote about half the New Testament. Great apostle, great missionary, great pastor, great leader. And he's getting ready to go on a second missionary journey. And while he and Barnabas, his partner, is putting all the affairs together and getting all the details of this second missionary journey worked out, an argument arises between Paul and Barnabas about a third party, about a young man by the name of John Mark. Now, let me tell you what happens. In fact, I'm going to read it to you from Scripture, Acts 15, beginning at verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit all the brothers and sisters in every city where we preach the Lord's word. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. John Mark is a young leader. He's a young, up-and-coming leader, and Barnabas said, let's bring John Mark along with us for the second missionary journey. Watch what happens. Verse 38, Paul insisted that they shouldn't take him along. Why? Since he deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in their work. So what happened was that last time they were together, John Mark decided in the middle of the journey to jump ship. I'm done. I'm not going with you guys anymore. I'm going home. We don't know all the details. We don't know why it happened. But for whatever reason, he left, and it really bothered Paul. Now Barnabas is suggesting that John Mark goes along with him again, and this is what Paul says in verse 39. Their argument became so intense. Paul said, I'm not taking him. Their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose silence. And left. Now, this was a heated exchange. We kind of read that story, we just kind of read it and go on to the next part of what's going on, but we've got to stop and take a look at this. These are two great men, Paul and Barnabas, two great leaders. They get into an argument about a guy by the name of John Mark, and the argument gets so intense they cannot settle the argument, and they both go their separate ways. Now, why was Paul so upset? Well, Acts 13, 13, we are told that in the first journey, first missionary journey, Paul and his companions sailed from Paphras to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, John Mark, deserted them there and returned to Jerusalem. That was what happened. And that's what ticked Paul off. For whatever reason, we're not given the details, fear, anxiety, immaturity, whatever reason, John Mark left Paul and his team. So Paul had to move forward without the assistance of John Mark, and this hurt Paul. This disappointed Paul and probably angered Paul. Why? Because Paul was laser focused on his mission. He left with intense passion to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he knew that this was going to be a difficult and challenging journey. And Paul needed all the help he could get. And right in the middle of preaching the gospel, building churches, leading people, one of his companions, one on whom he had placed responsibilities and he was depending on, decided to quit. And I'm confident after this encounter, Paul was done with John Mark. So when Barnabas in Acts 15 suggested John Mark accompany them on the second missionary journey, Paul speaks up and he is like, no way, no how. 
I am not getting hurt by John Mark again. I don't trust him. He left me when I needed him, and he will probably leave me again. He can stay here and take care of responsibilities on the home front, but I do not want him with me on this next journey. Now, I think that it's possible John Mark felt guilty about leaving Paul earlier. And maybe John Mark talked to Barnabas and said, Barnabas, listen, I really feel bad about leaving him at the beginning, and I'd like to come back and prove myself. I'd like to show him that I, I can make it right. So give me another chance. And Barnabas goes to Paul and says, Paul, come on, let's give John Mark another chance. Let him go. Paul's like, no, I do not want him on this journey. And it was so intense, so heated, they could not settle the issue and went their separate ways. Let me ask you a question, okay? Was Paul impatient? Was Paul cynical? Was Paul judgmental? Maybe. I don't know. We're not given a lot of information, but we are left to fill in the blank with what we know about people. And Paul's a people. So he may have been a little impatient with John Mark. He may have been a little cynical about John Mark. He may have been even a little judgmental about John Mark. I don't know. Barnabas, on the other hand, saw the good in John Mark. And Barnabas wanted Paul to give Mark another chance, take him on another missionary journey. Maybe Barnabas knew Mark was immature before, and now Mark has grown up. Maybe Barnabas knew that Mark struggled with fear and anxiety and needed to go home for a while. I don't know. Maybe Barnabas had information that the Apostle Paul didn't have. I don't know. Maybe Barnabas was just a softy. Who knows? But for whatever reason, Barnabas disagreed with Paul, and Paul disagreed with Barnabas, and it got so intense they could not settle the issue. And although Barnabas begged Paul to let John Mark go, Paul refused. Paul was a great man of God, but he was not perfect. He was a great apostle, but he was not sinless. So a sharp disagreement arose between Paul and Barnabas, an argument so intense they could not settle it, and they decided to go their separate ways. Can I ask you a question? You ever had a friendship end like that? You ever had a friendship just end after years of loving one another, after years of taking care of one another? You ever had a friendship end and you thought you would probably be friends forever, but something happened in the relationship. Something occurred in the relationship and you've talked to the person and you tried to reason with the person and you explain yourself to the person and the person could not see it your way and you could not see it their way. So you just decided to go your separate ways. That's what happened here. Now we could talk for a long time about the ins and outs of all of that, but I want you to see something that I think is absolutely beautiful and I'm gonna draw a conclusion here in just a moment. I wanna jump ahead and I want you to see what happens next. Because what happens next is so beautiful. Paul leaves, Barnabas leaves. Paul chooses Silas, Barnabas goes on his way with John Mark, and they separate and they go and do their thing. Paul completes his second missionary journey, and years go by. And eventually, we find John Mark, the young man that Paul did not want with him, we find this young man becoming very dear and very precious to Paul in Paul's old age. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes encouraging the Christians in the city of Colossae to welcome John Mark into their homes. In the book of Philemon, Paul is in prison in Rome and we learn that Mark is considered a close member of Paul's team. 
We also know that John Mark became especially close to Peter. And eventually he writes the gospel of Mark. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the second gospel, Mark, that's the one, the same Mark we're talking about now is the guy who wrote that particular gospel. But probably the most touching of all the findings about their relationship later in life is found in the book of 2 Timothy. When Paul wrote his second letter to a young man by the name of Timothy, a young pastor who was going to take over Paul's ministry when Paul eventually died, Paul is writing 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, two different letters to the same guy by the name of Timothy. The second letter he writes to Timothy, Paul is literally in a pit dungeon. He's been arrested and thrown into a dungeon. And for hours upon hours of the day, he is actually chained to a wall. And he has the ability to pin some writings and some letters. So he writes a letter to this young man by the name of Timothy. And he is turning everything over to Timothy because Paul knows that his days on this earth are very few. And he's probably going to be dying soon. So in this letter to Timothy... He's setting his affairs in order. He's putting all the things that he's done kind of in order. And he's telling Timothy what matters. And he's telling Timothy what's important to him and how Timothy is going to carry on the ministry when he's dead. And this letter is very personal, very highly personal. And toward the end of this letter, Paul gives a list. Now, just listen to this. He gives a list of personal instructions, mainly comprised of several people to greet and one person to avoid, this person to avoid was someone who caused Paul a lot of trouble. And among the names listed in this last letter that Paul writes to Timothy, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verse 11, here's what we find, Paul says, Luke alone is with me, yet Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Now, wait a minute. Years earlier, you didn't want him with you. Years earlier, you said you didn't want to take him with you again because he left you before and you weren't going to give him another opportunity to leave you again. Years earlier, you and Barnabas argued so much so you could not settle this issue and had to go your separate ways. Now at the end of your life, the very person you could not get along with, the very person you didn't want to be with you on the journey is the very one you're asking Timothy to bring to you in your final hours. In Paul's final hour, he requested only five things. He requested Timothy to come soon, come see me, bring Mark with you because he's very important to me, bring my cloak, bring my books, and bring my parchments. I only want five things at the end of my life, and one of the five things I want is the very person I didn't want earlier. In the final hours of Paul's life, he wanted John Mark, a restored relationship. So here's my question. I got a lot of questions about this, okay? Here's my question. Who changed, Paul or Mark? Who changed, Paul or Mark? What do you think? I, I, I personally feel they both did. I, I think both of them grew I think both of them matured. I think both began to see the good in each other. Let me, let me give you some, some, some samples of how I think they changed. I think Mark realized the importance of keeping one's word. 
and seeing a job through to the end, even when a job is difficult. And he quit before, but he had learned over time, I'm not going to quit again. I I think Paul learned. I think Paul realized the importance of not cutting people off too quickly, to give people a chance to mature, to give people a chance to season, to confront their weaknesses and shortcomings before you write them off. I think Mark grew. I think he realized Paul had a huge responsibility to carry the message of Jesus to the Gentiles and he needed to honor the weight and the stress that accompanied that with Paul. I think Paul grew. I think he realized Mark had fears and worries and he needed to be fathered and he needed to be coached longer, not just forgotten. But here's what concerns me. If Paul and John Mark lived in our culture today, even in the church culture today, they would have been both encouraged to leave the other behind. Almost every leadership conference Paul would have gone to in the United States of America would have told Paul to leave John Mark behind. Why? Because John Mark obviously quit you and you've got to only take eights, nines, and tens with you. Take those who are committed. Take those who keep their word. Let all the other weak leaders go. Only take the strong with you. And he would have done that, maybe. Every social media platform out there would have told John Mark that Paul was toxic and demanding. And you don't need him. Go on without him. Hey, hey, John Mark, you be you. Don't let Paul push you around. Don't let Paul tell you what you need to do. Don't let anybody make you think you're less than perfect. You don't need to change. You don't need to improve. Just be proud of who you are, John Mark. You will be our perfect just like you are. And what I've learned over time is that both perspectives are wrong. And both are hurtful and both are damaging. The reality is Paul did need to change. The reality is John Mark needed to change too. Both needed to improve. Neither should have stayed the way they were. Okay, so so what can we learn from something that happened 2,000 years ago, Scott, in a different culture and different problems? I'm going to take all of that. I'm going to break it down, and I'm going to give you something very practical that I want you to take home with you today, okay? One of the most influential books that I've probably ever read in my life, and I think one of the most influential books ever written, is Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. Wonderful book. In fact, I would require that book to be read before a person could graduate high school. I'm serious. I'd say, you got to read this book and write a five-page paper. You're not getting your degree. And habit number five out of the seven fits perfectly into what we're discussing right now. Here's Covey's number fifth, the fifth habit. Seek to understand before being understood. Now, let me, let me cut to the chase and kind of give you the cliff notes on this fifth habit and apply it to Paul and Barnabas and apply it to you, all right? And I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you want to change how you interact with people this year, if you want to improve your relationships in almost every single area, if you are dating someone right now, I want you to listen to me carefully. I'm going to help you. If you're married, I'm going to help you. If you're considering dating or considering getting married, I'm going to help you. If you're an employer to your employees, an employee to your employer, if you have just a friend in your life, I want to help you. Listen to me very carefully. If you want to improve your relationship in almost any area whatsoever, do whatever it takes to understand 
the other person. And I am not talking about slick techniques, gimmicks, just repeating back what people tell you to make sure you know what they said. That's important. We do need to do things like that. But I'm talking about something so much more deep, so much more powerful. Covey calls it emphatic, empathic, excuse me, empathic listening. I'm going to read a quote from him real quick. This, I don't have this on the screen, so you can just listen to me. He says, seek first to understand involves a very deep shift in paradigm. We typically seek first to be understood. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. They're either speaking or preparing to speak. They're filtering everything through their own paradigms, reading their autobiography into other people's lives. Guilty as charged. Empathic listening is different than that. Empathic listening is listening with the intent to understand the other person's perspective. Not just what the person's saying, but what the person is saying behind what the person is saying. Empathic listening is hearing the person's heart and soul, not just their words. Empathic listening is is attempting to get inside a person's skin and, and seeing life the way they see life, feeling life the way they feel life, hearing life the way they hear life. It's walking their path, sitting in their seat, standing in their space. Can you imagine how everything would change if we live like that? What what we see right now in political arguments. These people fighting with these people, these people fighting with these people. I'm right, no, I'm right. No, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. All that kind of stuff. So much of that is because we don't know what that means. And it's also true of religious arguments and moral arguments. There's a lot of intellectual understanding of another person's view and ability to repeat back what the other person is saying with accuracy, but not emotionally understanding another person's view. For instance, this is going to get a little tight in the room, okay? For instance, we intellectually understand the problem of racism. We can repeat back what we think the problem is, but few of us knows what it feels like to be rejected or mocked or threatened based on our skin color. That's a whole different kind of understanding. We intellectually understand the debate surrounding abortion, But few of us have been faced with the situation of bringing a baby into the world, a baby we didn't plan, a baby we don't want, we aren't mentally healthy enough for, emotionally healthy, or have no money or no support, and we're scared beyond comprehension about doing so. We get it here, but we miss it here. We intellectually understand the challenge of raising minimum wage, and I've heard all the arguments, and I get it, but few of us have ever tried to raise a family on minimum wage. When we're going to school and and getting a better job and, oh, you can do all these things. Yeah, but what if you have learning disabilities or health problems or a variety of other things? We get it here. We don't get it here. We intellectually understand the problem with people walking away from religion and walking away from church. But few of us were spiritually shattered by a lying, abusing pastor or sexually molested by a faithful church member for years and watched the church cover it up and make excuses and then blame the victim for the perversion. We get it here, 
miss it here. You tracking? There is a great divide between intellectual knowledge and emotional knowledge. And for the sake of our society, our culture, our families, our relationships, that divide must be bridged. And both the intellectual and emotional are critical for wholeness and for health. So what does this, what, what, what does this mean for me, Scott? It means learning the art of listening. You, you, you listen here, but you listen here. Totally different levels. And it will take your entire life to master it. Your entire life. After all these years, I get it sometimes and I miss it sometimes. There are times when I am listening, I mean really intently listening, and I hear the person's heart, and I hear the person's position, and I begin to see life through their eyes. And you know what happens to me? There is a deep compassion that overtakes me, and I soften, and I calm down, and I hear the other person's heart, and I may not agree with their decisions. I may not agree with the path that they're walking. I might not agree with the direction, but I have intense compassion for it, and it changes everything. But then there are other times I just get so wrapped up in Scott, I just listen to what they're saying and can't wait for them to be quiet so I can tell them what I want to say. And most of the time we miss each other then. So here, here's where you begin. Just listen. I mean, really listen. Like, like don't talk and listen. I, I mean, don't formulate a response while they're talking. I mean, listen. In fact, don't even form a response until you've heard them entirely, everything that they're saying. Just listen. Learn to listen to your husband. Listen to your wife. Listen to your kids. Listen to your friends. Listen to your employer. Listen to your employee. Listen to your customers. Listen, listen, listen. Hear their heart. What's going on behind the scenes? Some people don't even know how to communicate their heart. Listen to them enough that you can help them communicate what they're trying to say. Can you imagine the difference? Don't add. Don't insert your experience. Don't, don't assume you understand at the beginning of the conversation. Just listen. I want you to imagine Paul using him Pathic listening with John Mark. Before Paul cuts John Mark off and tells Barnabas, he's not going with me. I, I have no use for him. Imagine Paul and Mark sitting down and Paul says, hey, listen, you, you left me the last time. What's up? And then John Mark begins to tell him the problems he has in his life, the fears, the anxieties, the doubts, the worries, the health problems. Here's why I left last time, and I, I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that again, and will you give me another chance to prove myself? What, what if that would have happened? What, what, if, what if John Mark would have listened to Paul? Hey, Paul, you, you seem very upset. What's going on? Well, man, you, you left me last time, and I don't know if you're going to leave me again, and I'm very upset about that, and I, I don't know that I can trust you. And they would have sat down and talked and worked that out and understood each other. How many arguments have you had in your life that could have been avoided if you would have practiced 
How many fights with your kids? How many fights with your parents? How many fights with your wife? How many fights with your husband? How many fights in church? How many fights at school? How many arguments? How many hurt feelings? How many relationships have broken apart simply because we never understood the power and the art of empathic listening? To understand before being understood. So here's my question, and we're going to go. Who do you need to understand? Who right now in your life do you need to really understand? And one of the best ways to figure that out is right now in your life, who do you have in your life? You love them, you care for them, you just completely disagree with them. They just have a whole different view of whatever it is and there's tension and there's turmoil and there's just a wrinkle in the relationship and more than likely that is a person you need to really understand. Listen, I didn't say agree. I didn't say agree. You still may get to the end of it and not agree, but you really hear them. Hear them. Who is it in your life right now? Maybe you need to make a phone call this week. Maybe you need to send a text. Maybe you need to make an appointment. Maybe you need to, I don't know. But who is it? Bring that person to mind. Sit down with them. Don't sit down to respond. Sit down to listen. Ask some questions. Let them finish. Let them share with you why they think the way they do, why they feel the way they do, why they make the decisions the way they do. And pray, pray, pray. You know what I find interesting? Last big thought. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, the great man of God who did not get along with Barnabas, I mean, uh, John Mark and up, they split. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes that love, the great love chapter, love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, it sure sounded like he kept a record of wrong with John Mark, didn't it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Really, Paul? It sounds like to me you kept a record of what John Mark did and you didn't want him to go again because you didn't trust him. 1 Corinthians 13 shows growth. I would imagine that the reason Paul writes that is because he's learned a lot about love since Acts 15. Don't you wish we could live life backwards? Don't you wish you had some of the knowledge you have today when you were 20? Don't you wish you understood the power of relationships and the value of love and patience and calmness when you were first married? Oh, don't you wish we could live it backwards and have the energy? It's got, we got the wisdom, we're just tired, right? Back then we were stupid, but we had all the energy in the world. Don't you wish some of that would have been like reversed or something? Love. Love. Who do you need to understand? Who do you need? Well, you know what I'd love for you to do? I'd love for you to reach out to that person. I'd love for you to create an environment where you could hear them, really hear them. And then let me know how it goes. I'd love to know. Email me, text me, Facebook, whatever. I want to know how did it go. I promise you, if we begin to live this out, it will make a world of difference. The truth will set us free.
Let's pray. Father, we bring our relationships to you. In this room, there's employees, employers, there's husbands, wives, moms, dads, sons, daughters, there's friends, girlfriends, boyfriends, fiancés, all kinds of different relationships represented here. And every one of us could do better at this. Every single one of us. Teach us what it means to love. Teach us what it means to not keep records of wrongs. Teach us what it means to be patient and kind. Teach us what it means to let the other person finish and really get behind the other person's eyes and begin to understand where they are. But it'll change our marriages. It'll change our friendships. It'll change the way churches operate, schools operate, the government operates. It is incredibly powerful. Teach us what it means. Thank you for speaking into our church, our lives, and challenging us today. Make this truth stick and root out, root out the junk that we've allowed to collect inside of us. Root that out and wash us clean with the purity of truth and let it change us from the inside out and let love begin to take root and let love grow, changing everything from the inside out. We ask these things in the one who is truth, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Have an incredible day today.